The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome one, welcome all to the SB Nation NFL show and thank you for joining us for our Digital Row special, which is how we're doing Radio Row in the year 2021 for obvious reasons. And if it's not clear yet what this is, allow me to explain. First off, I am your host, Michael Kist. Today we have a buffet of big guests talking about the Super Bowl, the NFL at large, and the NFL Draft. You'll hear about a range of topics from a wide range of minds and specialties from around the industry. We are doing our best to recreate the atmosphere of Radio Row right here in podcast form. Let's introduce the guests from this show. First up, we have around the NFL analyst Greg Rosenthal. Then we have former NFL player Ross Tucker, followed by Sam Monton of Pro Football Focused. His co-worker Mike Renner is after him for some senior bowl coverage. He's going to talk some NFL draft. Then it's Warren Sharp of Sharp Football. Also, Evan Silva of Establish the Run. And former SB Nation contributor joins us in Charles McDonald from For the Win. We hope you enjoy the feast and all the unique angles these different guests brought to the table. Make sure you're subscribed to the SB Nation NFL show. Leave five stars in Apple Podcasts. Throw in a written review if you love the content. And we thank you for stopping by for the kickoff of our Super Bowl coverage. Next week, we not only have our usual daily kickoff shows, which gets you caught up with all the NFL news in less than 10 minutes, but you'll also get your regular programming of shows with our all-star cast of hosts. Plus, you'll get a third daily show starting Monday, which is going to be our roundtable discussion that will also feature some big guests that you won't want to miss. So keep it here with us and enjoy the ride. Let's get to our first interview of the show. You may have seen this gentleman's work on NFL.com. He's around the NFL's Greg Rosenthal. Let's get to that right now. Greg, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. I'm glad to have you. Thank you for carving out some time for us in your busy schedule. And let's just jump right into some Super Bowl storylines here. As uh, You recently put out an article. It was three things to watch for in this matchup. You put this out for NFL.com. Chiefs and Bucks, obviously the topic. And there was one that really stands out to me as an underrated aspect in all of this. Uh, and that's the Chiefs defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo, against Tom Brady. And for those with short memories, Greg, what makes that particular chess game <laughs> so interesting? Uh, because, you know, there was a nice matchup at the first Super Bowl I ever went to. And to pull a, a you know, peek behind the curtain here, I grew up a Patriots fan, I'm still a Patriots fan. And uh, that was P- Giants. Patriots 2008, the 2007 season when uh, Spagnola was the Giants defensive coordinator. But you don't even need to go back that far. You can go back to last year. 
Chiefs, Patriots, where Spags sent a lot of pressure. Or you can go back to week 12, where Spags, and I rewatched that game this week, even since I wrote that article, and he was very aggressive. Uh, and for the most part, it worked against Tom Brady. Yeah. And what you're expecting to see is is more pressure from Spags, really dialing it up against Brady? I think so, because it worked in week 12. And I think having Patrick Mahomes allows you to be a little more aggressive, be a little more boom or bust. And I don't think they're really going to trust this defensive line. I love Chris Jones, but I don't I don't know if they're going to trust them to get a ton of pressure uh, when they're just sending four guys. Yeah, and I can imagine if they are just sending four guys and it's not necessarily getting the type of heat that you want to cook up on Tom Brady. They've seen what can happen when you can do that to Tom Brady and move him off the spot and make life difficult. So I would imagine they will dial up the pressure. Any other matchups from from the defensive side of the ball for for the Chiefs as they go against the Bucks? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tough matchups for them with their wide receivers. <laughs> Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, obviously, you know, Rob Gronkowski has been here before. There, there's a ton of guys for the Bucks to utilize. Do you think talent versus talent the Chiefs can hold up? Or is this really like heavily on Spags to dial up a brilliant game plan? No, I don't think they can hold up. I don't. I think that's true for both defenses. And I think you know that's the thing is scheme can win for a quarter or a half, and it kind of did in that first matchup. The Bucks had four drives in the first quarter of that game. They had one first down in those four drives. <laughs> it's like if that happens, the game's over. I don't think it's going to be you know close like it was at the end in the regular season. The the offenses are going to have to win. The, the secondary is underrated, I think for. Kansas City, especially with Honey Badger and, and Thornhill's been playing well, but the linebackers, the middle of the field, you know, fr- pretty much any cornerback matchup. And, and the Bucks, I think, have done a nice job since that point adjusting, having a little more crossing routes, more play action, some of the things Tom Brady does well. And so it's a little more dangerous to send the house at him right now because he's been he's been throwing the ball great down the field. Yeah, I still think that like you can bend, you can break, but you do have to create turnovers, and that comes from from getting pressure there. But if you're not going to win talent versus talent, you you got to find a way to get your offense to the ball in some advantageous uh, situations. And if the Bucks are able to topple the un- the seemingly unstoppable Chiefs and add another ring to Brady's collection, what do you think that game looks like as the game unfolds for like the Bucks uh, uh, offense and with the Chiefs defense trying to survive? Where do you think hmm. the Bucks can have most of their success on offense for the Bucks? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it can be all big plays. I, I really think the running game, you know, I know it's it's not cool to like talk about the running game. And I'm, I'm definitely on that corner where, of, you know, since for, for a long time, you know, before people were recognizing it, like it's a passing league. It, that's the thing you start with everything. But it really does help if you can be, you know, running the ball at an efficient rate when you are running. I think that's been an underrated story of why the Chiefs offense has been really effective with Mahomes on the field in the playoffs is their running game has been much better and has helped them out in key spots, including on the goal line. So when the Bucks have the ball, you know, I think they need to get Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette going. I hope they're not as predictable as they've been early in games and early down situations. Um, But I still think they need to be like effective when they do it. And I, and I think you said it when you mentioned Bray and Gronk and then also Godwin, certainly over the middle too. I I think you're going to have more success over the middle against this Chiefs defense than than just relying on on Evans and Scotty Miller having a couple big plays. Yeah, you mentioned the predictability. That's something I talked with uh, with Warren Sharp. Actually, he was mentioning you know their their yards per carry on first down is pretty bad. So if they are going to do it, 
They better be successful. Rojo's good though. Like Rojo <laughs> has like a Damian Williams in the Super Bowl in him. Yeah. I mean, he is a explosive, talented guy. I think they trust Fournette a little more in, in pass protection and maybe in the passing game, which is too bad. But uh, I think Ronald Jones, like he'd be a sneaky under the radar, like Super Bowl MVP candidate, I think. When you flip sides, is it kind of like the same story as like you can bend, you can break, but you have to like find a way to turn turn it over because you're not going to slow down Mahomes, right? Right. I I think the Bucks have been such a boomer bust team all year, and I think it's because their coaches, both coaches, you know, Arians and Leftwich on the offense, and then Bulls on defense are they'll look great for a quarter, you know, great for a half, and then it all sort of falls apart, and it's because it's like a high variance defense. And they've played well in the last two games, I think, you know, against the Saints and the Packers. And yeah, they need to make like two or three big plays. And I think if they were looking for an advantage in this game, like I think they have more defensive playmakers that are capable of making those two or three plays. I don't think they're going to keep the Chiefs under, you know, 28, 30 points. But I do think Devin White or Shaq Barrett or JPP or Winfield, assuming he plays like, or Vita Vea, like can, can a couple of those guys each make one amazing play to change the game, I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And I, and I think, you know, as you look at the grand picture of this, this year has really reinforced that quarterback is king in the NFL. And you need an elite quarterback to have the best shot at the hardware. With that in mind, looking outside of the Super Bowl, th- this might be an unprecedented year in quarterback movement. Mm. We all know about Deshaun Watson and Matt Stafford, but one angle that is starting to unfold before our eyes is the Jared Goff saga, as it seems that the Rams refuse to back him publicly, at least firmly. From your perspective, what's going down in Los Angeles between Les Snead, Sean McVay, and, and Jared Goff? I'd be surprised at this point if Goff is back. It's going to be a hard uh, trade to make. But if you look at the, the cap hit, it's it's pretty doable if they just get a team to trade a sixth-round pick or a sixth to seventh pick swap, which is basically like a contract dump. The harder part is getting anyone to take his contract, which right. – uh, has I think guarantees around forty-two million dollars over the next two years, and so that's it's a little hard to imagine. But if he knows he's not wanted there, I, like I said it right away when they played Walford, I was like, they're benching Goff. Yeah. Like, what, can you? It's like, and then there's a lot. Of, I got a lot of pushback, not from the Rams or anything, but it's like, can you imagine Aaron Rodgers being healthy enough to be active and 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 being the backup to John Walford no way right. like no way they're doing that for Russell Wilson so that's a benching and um i i think it's it's pretty clear they're they're close to done with him usually you kind of hide it in these comments but i don't think Sneed and McVeigh really hit it too much in their postseason comments yeah they were like he's the quarterback right now today's this date and he's the quarterback <laughs> like it was here here was the comment that really put it over the edge where i was like oh he's gone gone i didn't i didn't realize that was when they asked need how how tough it would be cap wise and he said yeah yeah that would be but there's always you know things you can do and i was like mm. man man and troy aikman was burying him a lot in the fox broadcast i'm big into reading between the lines there because Troy Aikman's not doing that on his own. He's doing that from a conversation he had with the highest people at the Rams. Yeah, that's an excellent uh, context there for that. <laughs> you know, spe- speaking of those those quarterback controversies, that the golf one was kind of like slow building, but when you kind of saw like, wow, McVay and Goff are disagreeing on the health of this thumb, and now there's this comment, mm-hmm. there's that comment. The one that kind of spiked and has kind of like faded away. Do you think Aaron Rodgers realistically goes anywhere? And and what do you what do you make of that whole situation? I ne- I don't, and I never did because I don't think the Packers would 
entertain it. And I would be shocked if Rogers pushed really hard for it, which is what it would require. And based on his comments on, on the Pat McAfee show, I don't think that's happening. So uh, I think it was him putting it out there still that he hasn't forgotten. They took Jordan love. I, I think the theory that some more guaranteed money uh, in Aaron Rodgers's contract would help. And I think it'd be more about the years than the amount that he doesn't necessarily want to feel like he's year to year. So if they gave him two years of guarantees, let's say with a nice little raise, yeah, that that feels like maybe that that's where it's going. Because why would he want to leave anyways? They're they're in great position with with what's around him. Yeah, a couple of years with some guaranteed money would make me happy. So I'd imagine it would make Aaron <laughs> Rodgers happy as well. Right, a little extra, a little extra. La- last question for you. I'm asking everybody this, and I'm hoping maybe you come with a dark horse that nobody has really thought of. There's been a couple of interesting ones, but there's a head coach battle royale. Are you are you taking the, one of the obvious choices with like Vrabel or Campbell? Or are you going outside the box? Who do you think uh, it would be your champion going into that? Well, now I want a really outside the box one. I'm like rolling through all the names. Sometimes it's kind of like the wiry, thin, but has a lot of dura, you know, endurance type of guys, like a Sean McDermott type, maybe. Right, like a McDermott. She, I wanted to say Kyle Shanahan, but no, he's <laughs> not a guy that like works out a ton. Um, like McVay would be sneaky, sneaky good, I think, because he he's solid. I mean, he's like me. He's you know, he's a relatively. I'm a little guy, but he's a relatively little guy. But unlike me, like he tries to make up for it, you know, by like you know he he's in good shape. He's a big guy, and like uh, I think he I think he's in you know, he's young. I'm going McVay as an underdog guy. I like that. Greg, thank you so much for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. Go ahead and uh, plug yourself, your work, where people can find you. Sure. Uh, I do the Around the NFL podcast three times a week. I'm on Twitter and NFL.com. I like, you know, that you got right down to business here. This was brass tacks. Yeah. It was serious. You know, you're somewhere in Tampa getting ready for the Super Bowl. It's good. I have not been. I'm sad. I, I was looking forward to Tampa as a Super Bowl trip. I usually go. But as you would imagine, I am, I'm not going this year. Yeah, it's a whole new world. It's a whole whole new radio row, which is what we're trying to recreate here. So we appreciate you stopping by, man. Thank you. Awesome. See you. Thanks again to Greg for stopping by. Let's get to our next interview. Ross Tucker of the Ross Tucker podcast. You may have heard him calling college football games on CBS or on the Eagles preseason broadcast. Either way, you're definitely going to hear him here. Ross, thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. Before we get into the Super Bowl chatter here, we haven't talked face-to-face since the summer, I think. I'm always interested in what you're up to. So what's going on with Ross Tucker podcast and myfrontpagestory.com? Well, I appreciate that, man. Uh, Michael, obviously, always good to be on with you on any of your programs, everything you got going on. Uh, congratulations, by the way, with Thank the you. new role there at SB Nation. That's amazing. Well-deserved. You earned it. So, yeah, man, I, you know, I, we're still going daily. Ross Tucker Football Podcast, daily, 30 minutes, on-demand audio content from a former player. That's me, by the way. Uh, we also still do once a week. Fantasy Feast podcast with Joe Dolan, the Even Money podcast with Steve Fezzik. So if you like betting or you like fantasy, we got that going. College Draft with Emery Hunt. And then Andrew Brandt does the Business of Sports podcast. And then this time of year, um, a buddy of mine has a business called MyFrontPageStory.com. So I always I always beg if people like you will let me mention it because I'm trying to hook them up and it's the greatest Valentine's Day gift of all time. Like, so he's a writer. 
He had a couple other writers together. You you literally it's, it's forty nine ninety nine, and you talk to one of these guys for ten minutes while you're driving to Chick fil A or something. You tell them how great your wife is or girlfriend or fiance. I don't care whatever you got. They write the most unbelievable story. Like it looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. It looks like it'd be on the cover of the Philadelphia Inquirer or something (laughs) with a beautiful picture of her and you. And I'm just telling you the two things. Number one, when you say to your wife, hey, babe, I want to do something special for you this year. So I had a story written about you. That sounds so good. You know what I mean? Like who, who gets a story written about somebody? You had a story written about me? What? It sounds amazing. And then when she actually reads the quotes and it's like, I never tell her enough, you know, how much I appreciate everything she does for the family. Like she will cry. So anyway, she will cry. You will win myfrontpagestory.com. Trust me, my front page story. That's a heck of a, that's a heck of a sell there, Ross. I really like that. I have to check that out. Look, first Super Bowl question here, right out the gate, man. I, I know you got to be excited because there's passing the torch and then there's this. And of course, I'm referring to Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, which is a storyline that's going to get beaten to death. But the stakes and excitement for this one are monumental, right? It's actually crazy. I saw someone tweet this. A hundred years from now, people will debate whether or not Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes was the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh. Now, obviously, Mahomes has a long way to go. Yeah, But dude, he's off to a good start. I mean... You know, his second Super Bowl in three years as a starter, three straight conference. Cha- I mean, he's 100% in conference championship games, you know, getting to them at least. He's extremely impressive. And I don't think anybody will ever approach the ridiculous, preposterous accomplishments of Tom Brady's career. But I got to tell you, Michael, like, if anybody could ever do it, it's Mahomes. Like, yeah. You know, think about the other – like uh, Trevor Lawrence, I don't know, I mean, he's going to Jacksonville. Like, they're not – I mean, like, you think – whoever you think of, right? It's like, nah, Mahomes, like – now, the thing is, that the tough part is, like, you got to do it with a couple different groups, right? So, like, right. he'll do it with the Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey group, mm-hmm. but then can he stick around 10 more years and can they get other guys like that and do it again? That's where it really gets hard. But I do think this game – uh, is significant to, I mean, Brady's legacy is cemented, but dude, if he wins one with the Bucks his first year after leaving the Patriots, <laughs> I mean, that's just, you want to talk about legacies. Yeah. That has a lot, that, that makes a big difference in how we view, I believe, both Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And look, it's, it's a quarterback league. And one thing that we're following beyond the Super Bowl is Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, their story. What's your take on why things have fractured there? What might happen between them in the future? Because it certainly looks like they are headed for a divorce as it stands right now. And another team might end up with an elite quarterback that could get him into these future conversations about the Super Bowl. So it's interesting because I had Albert Breer, who I think is one of the best insiders out there on Tuesday's Ross Tucker football podcast. And I said to him, like, what what is his big issue? You know, because. There are reports out there, Michael, that even if he gets a coach he wants, like Eric Bieniemy, right, he's still not going to be happy. And so if you go back to it, it's just been a lot of dysfunction since he's been there. Yeah. You know, there was a power struggle between Bill O'Brien and Rick Smith. Rick Smith out. 
They bring in Brian Gain, who O'Brien wanted. They butted heads. O'Brien gets Gain out of there. Then they don't. Then they try to get Casario. Uh, They're not allowed to get him, so they back off. So then O'Brien's the GM, makes obviously a bunch of horrendous moves, giving up the farm for Tunsil, you know, trading DeAndre Hopkins, blah blah mm. blah. We all know what happened. Then he's fired. Now they've got uh, Easterby guy kind of running the show. They say to Deshaun, what are you thinking? Who do you want? He gives them some names. They go ahead and hire Casario anyway. He tells them he likes Biennemi as a coach. They were the only team that didn't interview Biennemi that first week. The only team. It's almost like, it's almost like Mike, Michael, they went out of their way to be like, we don't really care what you think. Like, right. don't, don't ask the guy what he, what, what he thinks then. Like, don't ask him what he thinks, your star player. And then be the only team to not interview the guy he mentioned. It, it's like, <laughs> it's really, I mean, remember when uh, Jeffrey Lurie fired Chip Kelly in Philadelphia yeah. and said that he lacked emotional intelligence? The, mm-hmm. the, the Texans don't have a whole lot of emotional intelligence. Like, they, they don't really understand that they're just, it's, it's like they're playing this guy. And I can see why Deshaun Watson is a little bit disenfranchised with what's going on there and, and, and why he wants to move. Let's stick it with the quarterback. Let's go back to the Super Bowl real quick because recently, and you mentioned this, uh, your recent slate of uh, Ross Tucker podcast shows, which have been awesome. You spoke with Chad Henney of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who we became, I guess, re-familiar with is the, is the term there after his uh, third and 14 run and subsequent fourth down conversion in the divisional playoff game against the Browns. What what did he say about that? What had to be just a, a crazy experience for him? Well, so first of all, Chad's from my hometown. Uh, why I'm missing Pennsylvania. So I've known him for a long time. Like I, I could tell you epic Chad Henney stories. The short version, I used to work out with his dad and his dad when I was like in college and my first year in the pros or maybe first couple of years. And his dad would tell me about his son. I'd be like, yeah, I'm sure he's great. Well, it turns out he's Chad Henney. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it's funny though, too, Michael. I, I think, I don't know that I realized it had been so long since he actually got to play. Yeah. You know, I mean, it had been a long time since Chad got out there. Now I know he played week 17 or whatever. You people need to listen to the whole uh, interview. It was Wednesday's edition of the Ross Tucker football podcast. And, the funniest thing he said was, I said, dude, be honest. Like, did you really think when you started running on third and 14 that you might get the first down? He's like, no. He's <laughs> like, he's like, I saw that there was some space and I thought I want to keep the clock moving yeah. and I'll just try to get as close as I can. Yeah. He's like, but then like there was nobody there and I just kept running. And the one guy that was close was like on Demarcus Robinson's back and like didn't get around him to make the tackle. Like I, I, as I tweeted at Ross Tucker NFL, don't watch that social media clip if you're a Browns fan because that would send me to the moon. I mean, he's not a fast guy, right? And he almost got all 14 yards. So I'm happy for him though. And as he said, like, dude, Michael, the only social media he's on is LinkedIn. And he, he got 500-plus requests after the Browns game. Oh, my God. I, I just love that he's on LinkedIn, like, of all social media. Oh. It's amazing. He, he uh, He's awesome, and I was really happy for him, um, even though, like I said, on the Even Money podcast, I had the Browns plus 10. So it worked out perfect for me. The Browns covered, and 
I got uh, my buddy Chad Henney to make a couple big plays and win the game for the Chiefs. That's a great story. It must it must have looked like a hundred yards to him. You know, if it's if it's ten, it's a hundred. Ross, last question. Let's just say there's an NFL head coach battle royale, and let's just say you had to pick your fighter. Who are you putting out there as your champion? Well, so my first reaction, of course, is Dan Campbell. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Dan and I were teammates briefly in Dallas. Uh-huh. That's a bad dude right there, man. <laughs> That's a bad dude. I remember we were like, we were in a practice. It was one of the first practices with Bill Parcells. And you didn't have shoulder pads on. So it's just kind of what they call like a hands and feet practice, right? Where like you mm. get your hands, you get your feet, but you're not really finishing people or whatever. I can see where this is going. Well, he did hands and feet with Greg Ellis. Uh-huh. And Greg Ellis, like, kind of clubbed him off and threw him away at the tail end of a play and, like, kind of got in there on the tackle. Yeah. And Dan Campbell looks at him and is like, I will never let you do that again. You know what I mean? Like, it was one of the first practices. Dan Campbell was on a new team. Parcells had brought him in specifically as a badass blocking tight end. Yeah. Campbell thought, you know, he, he had a good fit on Ellis. Ellis was standing there. He thought, okay, like we got it here. And then Ellis goes like that and kind of gives him a club arm over to go ahead and uh, make the play. And he says to Greg Ellis, I will never let you do it again. He comes back. He looks at the late uh, Tony Sperano, rest in peace, who yeah. was the tight end coach and says, you don't even say anything. I will never let him do that again. <laughs> and he looks at the corner. He's like, I, like he 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 meant business. I don't even know who's even in the in like Ron Rivera is a tough dude, but I'm not, I'm not taking anybody that I can think of right now over Dan Campbell. Even Vrabel. Ooh, Vrabel against Campbell is good. Campbell's kept himself in better shape than Vrabel has. Okay, okay. Vrabel's a little softer than he used to. Campbell, <laughs> Campbell, I think would rip. Vrabel's head off but I will say this they're very similar because I was teammates with Vrabel too they're very similar guys so people say what kind of coach will Campbell be I picture him actually being a lot like Vrabel that's interesting I'm not going to be the one to tell him that he's let himself go a little bit but you can (laughs) you can handle that Ross Ross thank you so much for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show one last time let people know uh, where they can find you where they can find all your work yeah just on social media is the easiest just at Ross Tucker NFL or at Ross Tucker pod Twitter Instagram Facebook whatever we do have a YouTube page youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL And then you can see all the highlight clips from the different shows or watch full episodes if you'd like. Awesome. Thank you, Ross. My pleasure. Ross is the best. All right, let's go deeper into the Super Bowl matchup. And we're going to do that by talking with Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Sam, welcome in to the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? Doing good. How about you? Doing fantastic, man. And Sam, before we get into some Super Bowl chatter, I wanted to uh, share some things that we have in common, multiple things that we have in common. Okay. Number one, we're both elite athletes. I don't True. think anybody denies this. No. <laughs> we're both massive history nerds, and uh, we both signed the Josh Allen apology <laughs> form. On that last note, obviously, it was a disappointing exit in the conference championship game for the Bills. Uh, but Josh Allen this year made a real name for himself. Can you quantify how rare it is to see that type of year three leap for a quarterback that I think played a part in so many of us being so doubtful that this could happen for him? I don't want to say it's unprecedented, but 
it's close enough to it that it's really hard to find another example of it happening. And you have to go pretty deep into the archives to find something similar. Yeah, look, the Josh Allen thing is really interesting because when Christian Hackenberg came out, we were pretty fine in writing him off in terms of there's zero chance, none. There's just not a possibility that this guy can be a good starting quarterback going forward. I wrote an article calling him undraftable. Mm. And I was fine with that because I just don't think there was any shot of it happening. And also his stock was high enough that I didn't feel bad, you know, dumping on him because like he was going to go in the first couple of rounds anyway. He's going to be rich. (laughs) It's not my problem (laughs) that he's going to crap out at that point. But the Josh Allen thing was interesting. We were really, really careful not to do that to Josh Allen because there was always a chance with him that he could figure out a way of pulling it all together. And if that happened, you were going to get what we're looking at right now. So we use these terms like I called him an Ikea quarterback, right? Where (laughs) there's a box of pieces and it's all there, but somebody's got to figure out how to put it all together. And the manual may have been burned in the process. Like you don't have the instructions to figure this out, but the pieces are all there. Like that was the difference between him and a guy like Christian Hackenberg. And somehow like the Bills and Josh Allen or the combination of everything in Buffalo has figured out how to build whatever was in this box. You mentioned Christian Hackenberg, and I had the theory the other day that Allen Robinson is the biggest charlatan of all time because he has sold us on so many <laughs> of these different quarterbacks uh, that the talent there for Allen, that was never the issue. The, tool, the tools were just scattered all over the garage. You just needed a nice toolbox, right. essentially. I, I like to look at it the other way with Allen Robinson and say that guy dating back to at least high school has never never had a quarterback throwing him the ball that is even viable. Like most people, you know, it's all right. Their NFL career has been a bit rough. You go back to college and they had a superstar throwing them. That dude had Christian Hackenberg in college. When everybody says, remember Hackenberg in his freshman year, he looked great. He didn't. He looked terrible, but he was throwing to Allen Robinson, who made every pass look ridiculous. Like that dude made Christian Hackenberg, then made Blake Bortles, then made Trubisky for a brief period. And, you know, eventually the magic wears off. You can only do so much. And even to a lesser extent, Matt McGloin was employed by the NFL until about a year ago. I mean, that's that's the power of Allen Robinson. And look, let, let's shift gears here. Let, let's look towards the Super Bowl. Chiefs, Bucks, Reed Arians, Mahomes, Brady. From PFF's perspective, what are some of the unique keys for this game for, for either side of these teams? I mean, I think the big key is obviously always what do you do against Patrick Mahomes? Mm. What makes him or one of the things that makes him so special is that I think he's reach this plateau or this area of play where I don't know what the game plan is supposed to be. Like most quarterbacks, you at least understand what you're supposed to try and do against them. Whether or not it works or not is independent of that. You know, they might just beat you anyway, because that's what makes them great quarterbacks. But you at least understand what the game plan is supposed to be. What what is the game plan to stop Mahomes? Because if you keep him in the pocket, he's got you know, a PFF grade of like 95 from a clean pocket. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL if you just keep him in there and and let him run a conventional offense. And then if you let him break contain, that's where he makes all his crazy, special, absurd plays that nobody else can make in the NFL. Like that, there's no answer to what you can do to him. Like every now and again, you find a team that does something a little weird and it slows him down for a brief period of time, but it never lasts. And you look at what the Bills did and, and what Mahomes did in response to that. It was quick game, if I'm not mistaken. Like yep. he had a very low average intended air yard. He had a very quick average time to release. This is a guy that can go from throwing at 2.4 seconds per throw to being at three seconds running around making crazy stuff happen. And it feels like there's nothing you can do about it because even with Chad Henney in there, you're like, 
he could still throw it short to to Travis Kelsey, to Michael Hardman, to Tyree Kill. Like, wh- what do you do against that? Yeah, the Bills have now played him twice this season, and I think had good game plans on both yeah. occasions to stop him, and it didn't come close to mattering. Like, the Kansas City Chiefs are just too good. They, what they did in the second game, in the playoffs in particular, was really smart, right? It's like most quarterbacks get frustrated if you force them to take five yards every single pass they don't they can't handle it and eventually they do something dumb and they put the ball where it shouldn't be and that's where you can get a a turnover and offset a lot of that death by a thousand paper cut stuff the greatest quarterbacks are happy to do that Peyton Manning Tom Brady those guys will take five yards 50 times if that's what you're going to give them um, and they're happy with that Mahomes showed this week that he can do that as well he's obviously known for the absurd, you know, deep down the field, behind the back, whatever it is, ridiculousness. But he showed that if you're going to give him the short, easy five-yard out every time, that's what he'll take. And he can be patient enough to make that function, at which point, like, that goes out of your arsenal as a game plan as well. That's no longer going to work. Yeah, it's totally absurd. And look, I, I use the heck out of PFF's advanced analytics. So I know you've got people in the proverbial uh, data mines trying to uncover some sneaky storylines based on the research that you guys have done throughout the year with these two teams, the Chiefs and the Bucks. If I'm looking beyond like the marquee stuff, right, what are perhaps some less talked about keys that could impact this game? The offensive line for Tampa Bay, I think, is one of the keys to the game. That line has been, A, really good all season long. Like Tristan Wirfs has been an arguable rookie of the year candidate and is only getting better in the postseason. And when you look at the slate of defensive ends that guy has gone up against it's even more impressive that he's been just an absolute rock on the right hand side um and generally the offensive line for them has been great it's been a big reason why tom brady has been able to play as well as he has all season long but when they lost ali marpet earlier in the season the whole thing fell to pieces um and then they lost alex kappa late in the year and it's not as bad i think uh, an impact but you know right now aaron stinney is starting at right guard and he hasn't been quite as big a liability as, as Joe Haig was when um, when Marpet went down, but it isn't good. And when you're facing a guy like Chris Jones in the Super Bowl, like these are the small things that can ruin a game for you when everything else is going fine and your right guard just can't hold up against the second best interior pass rusher in the NFL. Usually offensive line play, I think, is about how bad the weakest link is and how big a mismatch you can generate on one single guy and every now and again you get a mismatch that's big enough where that on its own can torpedo your entire game plan that has the potential to be one on paper yeah i think it was either it was either the divisional round or maybe it was against the packers but i was introduced by to to stinney by tom brady uh after a penalty and i just it's, you can read his lips and he's yelling stinney and that <laughs> may be the problem in the uh in the super bowl forum look uh one question I had for you here that I'm, I'm kind of asking everybody and, and pulling the results here, and I'm really looking for for a dark horse because there are some obvious candidates. If there are a head coaching battle royale tomorrow, who yeah. are you picking as your champion? Yeah, I mean, the obvious ones are obviously Vrabel, uh, Dan Campbell, Flores is probably a sneaky um, yeah. bet on that. Here's the thing, though, right? Everybody is writing off Bill Belichick. Do you not think that that man with his encyclopedic understanding of the rules knows the exact spot on the human body to target, to take you down in a heartbeat? That man would come in there. He, you know, while you're busy bowing before the thing starts or whatever, the, the introductory handshakes, 
there would be like a quick knuckle right to a, a pressure point. You'd just be man down. And at that point, you know, he's on your back choking you out and you're done. I feel like maybe he he poisons the whole lot of them at the, uh, there you at go. the ceremony yeah, yeah. beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Get some real little finger type stuff in there. Since we have the time, I got to ask you this question because we're both history buffs. What what book are you reading right now? Do you have a book recommendation for the people? Right now, I'm reading Dan Carlin's uh, The End is Always Near, which is fantastic. Love his mm-hmm. podcast. What are, what are you getting into right now? I'm actually like the season kills my any kind I of see. reading for me. I just I don't even get to books. I have like a Kindle that's stacked full of stuff that I haven't got a chance to read yet. And then when we hit the off season, I actually start working through some of the backlog. So I'm not even sure what's on the thing on, on my list of stuff to read. It's ridiculous. I tend, so what I can get through is some podcasts. Yeah. And I started listening to one recently that was the, the history of Byzantium. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It started off, I think as a history of Byzantium. And then the guy like launched into the crusades as part mm. of it, because like, it's inevitable that you end up getting there from, from Byzantium. But I did. So I did a history, a level in the UK, which is like somewhere between a high school and an undergraduate degree. And then I did a history and politics degree in college as well. But the A-level did a whole thing on the Crusades. So that to me is always one of the most fascinating elements of history. Um, there's all kinds of like just absurd <laughs> pieces of information about the Crusades that I'm a big fan of. That's a, that's a big blind spot for me. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get with you uh, on that. On well, Let me tell you, let me you. tell you my favorite anecdote about that. Right. Yeah. So the crusade starts, it's a big, um, it's like a nobility thing, right? All the, the landed gentry are the ones that are supposed to go on this crusade and liberate Christendom from the uh, Seljuk Turks, but they get, they start, it's like Robin Hood, right? They start uh, popularizing this thing. And this dude called Peter, the hermit starts to create this like, mass of the people the people's crusade to just all the peasants and all the people that nobody wants anywhere to go and and liberate christendom and this guy became such a monstrous celebrity he used to tour all the the areas on a donkey um and he became such a crazy celebrity that people were trying to get you know any touch or or piece of him that they could to the point where they were ripping patches of hair out of his donkey so, uh, you know, Peter the Hermit at some point is just wandering around Christendom on a bald donkey because he's such a <laughs> such a fantastic celebrity. I always found that kind of funny. That's like someone trying to get like Mahomes is like sweaty jockstrap or something. Yeah, yeah. So like That's... just Mahomes can't walk anywhere for risk of people ripping patches out of his clothing. <laughs> Sam, before we get out of here, let the listeners know where they can find you, your work, and anything special that you want to plug with what you got going on uh, over there at PFF. Yeah, PFF.com obviously is anything I write. Uh, myself and Steve Palazzolo host two podcasts, the uh, the PFF NFL podcast and the PFF NFL Daily, which is a short, you know, 10-minute little bite-sized thing five days a week. So find those two on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate you. Anytime. We'll be right back with more from our Digital Row right after a quick break. We are back here on Digital Row brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. Again, I am your host, Michael Kist. And as we continue here, we've got a double helping of PFF as their lead draft analyst, Mike Renner, joined us to talk about what he's seen from the NFL draft prospects during Senior Bowl week. Mike, welcome back to the SB Nation NFL show. The last time we spoke, we were doing a deep dive on the Ravens offense and Lamar. This time around, we're going to do something different. First off, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. I'm sad that I can't see you in person right now like we were a year ago at this time at the Senior Bowl. But this will have to do. I miss I miss you 
as well. I think that's what you were trying to say. So, yes, yeah. I, I miss you too, bud. And uh, so we are going to talk about the Senior Bowl, the NFL draft. Uh, of course, it all, it all starts pretty much in Mobile, is the saying, at least from from what I've read on the uh, on the pamphlet. Uh, the game itself is tomorrow, but the practices are the main event, to be honest. Uh, let's start with how the uh, quarterbacks in Mobile there are performing. In previous years, like we've seen some Senior, senior Bowl quarterbacks go pretty, pretty high. Uh, what's the stock look like this year on the top end? Yeah, there's no Baker Mayfield down there. None of these guys are going number one overall. None of these guys are going top five. But I think Mac Jones could be a first rounder. And I think he's played well enough down there to convince someone that he could be a first rounder because he's not going to look like your toolsy Trevor Lawrence. He's not going to be that guy with the big arm that wows you in that way, shape or form. But he's going to be more like Daniel Jones. Like they are very similarly graded in my eyes. Prospects coming out. Probably Mac Jones a little higher. He's a little more accurate with the football. In terms of they can run, they can operate an NFL offense. Now, their ceiling might be Kirk Cousins. That might be what you end up getting in best case scenario. But some teams pay Kirk Cousins over $30 million a year, and they're happy to do it. So I do think that you could win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins on a rookie deal. So I think someone will go Mac Jones highest. And I think what he's done down there, not having this you know, all-world offense around him, has warranted somewhere in the first round selection. I was reading a mar- uh, an article about Mac Jones this week, and it said, you know, he might not be the best quarterback in the draft. He might not be the second best. He might not be the third or the fourth best. And I was sold immediately. But yeah, <laughs> it does seem like he has the highest stock of all the guys down there. So that's a guy to uh, to watch. Let, let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. Give me some guys that really stood out to you, regardless of position. Who who are the winners, quote unquote, uh, so far in these Senior Bowl practices? I think the biggest one is Demetric Felton, the UCLA running back. Mm. Now it's because he's not playing running back down there. He's like running routes with the wide receivers, and he looks probably like the the best, at least pure slot guy who can run that sort of route tree. And I think he can even win a little bit more than that. And, and if you add in the fact that he's already, you know, he had probably three or four games this year where he had like 25 plus carries actually carried a big workload at UCLA. I think that versatility and that receiving ability will be coveted by someone a lot higher than I thought, you know, going into this week, uh, how he looked. And I think the other guy who's probably a winner there, just from my previous opinion was North Dakota state tackle Dylan Redunds. Obviously, and he, it really helps the senior bowls probably the biggest sort of value add for guys like him, guys that didn't play any NFL competition. He didn't play a single guy who's going to sniff the NFL. You know, over the course of his career, and only played one game this past fall at North Coast State with their season being canceled. So going up against top competition, looking like the same guy we basically saw at North Coast State dominant, you know, in pass protection, all of a sudden you start to buy into the fact that his physical tools can be, you know, a starting caliber tackle in the NFL. What do you, what do you think their range is uh, as far as where they're selected? So I think Felton's probably worked his way into someone will take a shot in like the third round on him okay. or somewhere early fourth. And I think uh, Redunds might sneak into the first. I think he could go back into the first the deep tackle class. And I think there will be a lot of guys coming off the board between somewhere around 12, 10 to, 10 to 12 to then pick 50 that can start in the NFL right away. It, it, it is a really deep uh, class in that regard. And I think he'll be one of those that could – and he's probably a little bit more athletic than most of the guys in that range. So I do think he could sneak in the first round. I like that. Going back to Felton, the running back, I was surprised you started off with a running back because it's so hard to impress as a running back in this setting, but you have to do it as a route runner and that can really raise your stock. So that's nice. Have there been any major disappointments or guys that you felt have underperformed based on your expectations? Yeah, I think there's two, actually probably three guys that really stood out as disappointing. One was Levi and the Washington defensive tackle opted out this past season. 
thought we'd see like a better player than we saw in years prior, you know, after a year of probably, you know, most guys improve over the course of their college careers is looked like he does not belong there. It looks very rusty as if he hasn't played football in a while. Obviously he hasn't, but not has not been able to knock off the rust. And then Alex Leatherwood, the Alabama yeah. offensive tackle, it just hasn't won a lot of reps in the one-on-ones. He keeps giving up the edge to guys and that's going to even get worse in the NFL. And then the last one's Florida state safety, Hobson and Nazarildine. Now they put the safeties on wide receivers one-on-one. It's not set up to look good, but he's looked disastrously bad, like <laughs> unplayably bad at the slot or anything that's going to have to match up one-on-one. Like he, he is a linebacker at this point. If you're drafting him with how poor he's looked in coverage. And you look like rough, tough Borland against like Devonta Smith. Something is, has it been that Basically, much of a mid- <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he, he had, it was, it kind of was, it was a Amari Rogers hit him with just an over route and was probably about eight yards past him when he caught it. It's just, he <laughs> doesn't belong there. No, nothing fancy there. Wow. On the yeah. on the defensive side of the ball, like who has made themselves some money though in these senior bowl practices? That's I think another safety, UCF's Richie Grant has definitely made himself some money because he, like I said, it, you're you're set up to fail as a safety yes. playing man coverage and he has not failed. He's looked very good in those. Uh, I'll also add Trey Norwood, the Oklahoma cornerback. He is 5 foot 9, 180 pounds. And so you, you need to see him against bigger wide receivers. And he has two picks already in the one-on-ones, which you, you almost never see. You'll go days yeah. of practice without seeing a guy pick off pass in the one-on-ones because it's man-covered. It's difficult setting to do so. Here it is, two picks, two pass breakups, and against guys like Nico Collins, Frank Darby, who are bigger wide receivers. I, I think he teams are going to be buying into the fact that he can play on the outside with how physical he is. Of the whole lot of them there... Other than the Heisman winner, Devonta Smith, who the very talented wide receiver yeah. out of Alabama who did not participate in practices, but was there available in a, in mobile to answer questions and talk with teams and whatnot. Who do you think out of everybody at the Senior Bowl gets selected the highest? Is it Mac Jones, the, the quarterback you were talking about, or is there another gem there? That was tough. I, I would probably lean Mac Jones. I think someone ends up going for him in like the 10 to 15 range. But I could also see Kadarius Tony being the highest one if if no one does pull the trigger there and he falls to the back end of the first round. I think Kadarius Tony, the Florida wide receiver, I, I would be hard pressed to see him come off the board after pick twenty five. He is just that dynamic of an athlete. The Percy Harvin comps, not unwarranted. That's the way he moves. It's just differently than other guys move, and, and he's looked very very good in just in terms of getting open as a receiver down there in Mobile. Love it. So that that's the Senior Bowl coverage for you here on the uh, the Digital Row by the SB Nation NFL show. Let, let's get to a question that I'm asking everybody, Mike. And okay. I'm kind of collecting answers, and we're going to have a, a, a true champion at the end of this. It's going to settle the argument. You got all 32 NFL coaches. You have a battle royale. Which one comes out on top? This is a softball kiss. Like, this is Dan Campbell. Oh. The man will bite off kneecaps. He will do whatever it takes to come out the victor. He'll have eaten a good dozen kneecaps by the end of that battle royale and, and once your kneecaps gone you got no you got no ankle flexion you got no mobility you're not going to be not going to be agile dan campbell is going to take that home see i thought he's also enormous he, right <laughs> uh, no he's absolutely huge ross yeah. tucker told the story about him and, and you know he played with him and he was like yeah that, that guy is an absolute freak but I, I thought you might have been a little bit more creative but you know you're so handsome you don't have to be creative who did you Mike. go who'd you go with? <laughs> uh, i think i appreciate that yeah, no problem. <laughs> I like that I insulted you. were like, hey, you called me handsome. Thank you. <laughs> but no, I, I see I, I'm leaving it up to the crowd. What's okay. funny is 
Ross Tucker and I, and I'm now I'm forced to play this interview after the Russ Tucker uh, interview. Uh, Ross Tucker said that like it's Vrabel and Campbell, but like Vrabel has gotten like soft in his years, which oh. I'm never going to say that about Vrabel myself. So please don't put that on me. If Tucker's saying Campbell and he played with him and he's like, this guy like will really set you straight. I think it's got to be Campbell. Would Vrabel chop his own <laughs> off though is the question. He would do it for the, he would do it for the Super Bowl. You don't remember that? Him saying that he would do it for a Super Bowl ring. Would he do it for the Battle Royale win is the real question. If that's what it took. I don't think there's a rule for that, though. But if there was, like, you feel like... Yeah, it doesn't help you to chop your own <laughs> off. You're not going to get any style points for... Is that so? I don't know the Mike, rules for this, but... I'll, say, I'll send you the rule book, and we'll see if he can come up with something Belchekian as far as uh, as far as that goes. I appreciate the... Uh, I don't even know where to go. We're just going to end this. So, right. Mike, let the people know where to follow you, where to follow your work, what you got coming up, because I know you're cooking up some huge stuff for the NFL draft soon. Yeah, you can follow me at Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. And we got the draft guide is out. The first version, 150 players. Make sure to go check that out. Comes with any PFF subscription. It's, in my opinion, humble opinion, the best thing we put out here at PFF. So probably enjoy it. Mike, thanks for joining me, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Kiss. Thanks, man. So we had a draft break, and now let's get to more Super Bowl analysis. This time, it is Warren Sharp of Sharp Football. Let's get to that right now. Warren, welcome in to the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl and uh, looking forward to talking some of the angles on it with you. Yeah, I know it's a busy time for you, Warren, and I'm glad we were able to carve out a chunk of time for you to uh, talk with us about this. And you've been on the front lines of advocating for analytics here in the football media world. And when you look at this Super Bowl matchup between the Chiefs and the Bucks, one of, one of the questions is, will the Bucks be able to keep pace with the Chiefs if this turns into a boat race, which Vegas is saying it probably will. What do the Bucks need to change about their offensive philosophy that will make them less predictable for the Chiefs' defense? Well, the problem for the Bucks is they're one of the most run-heavy teams on first down. It was really interesting. They they were very run-heavy and conservative to start games back the first 13 weeks of the season. And you thought then they would have their bye. They had the last bye week that any team might have, and they would do some reevaluation some self-scouting and realize, hey, we can become a little bit more efficient here on first downs by actually passing the football a little bit more. But they came out there by against the Minnesota Vikings and they didn't do it. But then the last three weeks of the regular season, they played the Falcons twice in the Lions and they went with a much more pass-heavy approach. And that actually spiked their early down success rate, the highest three weeks of any three games that they played this entire season were those three weeks where they passed the ball a lot on first downs, Early on in those three games, they obviously won all three of them. And we thought entering the postseason, maybe they would continue this. But what they've done, and it's very evident when you watch the games, and especially if you're on Twitter and everybody's now talking about the fact that this team runs the ball so much on these first down plays, generally gaining very little yardage uh, in terms of against the Packers last week, for instance. In the first quarter, they had six first downs. They ran the ball on five of those six and gained just 2.2 yards per carry. It's setting them up in these situations where they absolutely have to pass the ball on second and third down. Now, me, I'm never going to advocate don't put the ball out in Tom Brady's hands. So I like the fact that they're passing the football. The problem is the only time that you 
lose leverage as an offense with the current rules construct and the way teams are playing games and calling games is by being predictable. And that's exactly what they're being when they run the ball so much on first and pass the ball at an 80% clip on second and third downs in the first three quarters of games. That's far and above the NFL average of 67%. It's also far and above any other team in the NFL. The next closest team was the Jacksonville Jaguars down at 74%. So this is just far too predictable of an offense right now. And where that's going to get them in trouble in the Super Bowl is on third downs because unlike what they were able to against the Green Bay Packers, where Tom Brady's converting all these third downs and moving the ball down the field, scoring touchdowns on third downs, the Kansas City Chiefs defense ranks number three in conversion rate on third down in long situations, six to 10 yards to go. They're the third best defense in the NFL. If you scrape it even further to seven to nine yards to go, they're the best defense in the NFL. So they're just so good at making you punt the ball back or kick field goals when you're faced in these third and long situations. And that's my biggest concern. And my most curious element of this thing from a game planning perspective is what is the game plan of the Bucks to start the game out the gates? How are they going to just stick with what has got them here, which is these runs? And how will the Chiefs do against that? Then how will the Bucks do on third down in those situations? And then when they fall behind, which inevitably I think such a strategy would make them do, is is how quickly do they switch back to like passing the ball on first down to get back into the game? Yeah, and that's fascinating because it feels like after they came out of the bye, they did make certain changes to their philosophy, but the first down runs didn't go anywhere, which was super weird to me. Flipping sides to the Chiefs offense, Warren, I've talked with a lot of really smart people, and they all have no idea what defensive game plan can consistently bottle up the Chiefs for 60 minutes, and it's probably not realistic. And usually getting consistent pressure on a quarterback can be like a like a panacea, like a cure-all, but that's not necessarily the case with Patrick Mahomes, right? No, it's not. And we uh, did an analysis, Dan Pizzuta, the site did an analysis, looking at a lot of the different elements of, of Patrick Mahomes' game. And the problem with him, uh, number one, is his ability to get the ball out no matter where he is on the football field. Like he is quick in the pocket. And when his toe is healthy, which I expect it to be quite healthy, he was obviously wearing some orthotics and some protection to keep that toe from bending in the AFC championship game. But I expect with a couple of weeks of extra rest, especially it's going to benefit him from being at home and not having to go to Tampa the week before the Super Bowl. So he gets to do all of the rehab that he needs to on that toe to be at maximum uh, strength and, and efficiency for that Super Bowl. He is everywhere in the pocket. He can throw from so many different levels and platforms, and his mobility is just such an asset that it's very difficult, even when you get pressure on him or force him to scramble or move outside the pocket. His performance is absolutely ridiculous. And if you just look at straight up QBR, his QBR when he's pressured is better than any other QBR for any other quarterback in the NFL just on regular throws. He's just so good when he's being pressured. Um, and ideally, as you indicated, that's what you want to get on most quarterbacks. Like if you get pressure on Josh Allen, his efficiency drops off of a cliff. Hmm. But with Patrick Mahomes, he's so good at still completing passes downfield, even under pressure. Yeah, and kind of going to a more overall philosophy here, because I think both of these teams are going to be aggressive in this way. But my fellow producer here at the SB Nation NFL show, Rob Stats Guerrera, has a saying that I love. And he says that field goals are failures. 
with how we've seen, seen things play out, especially in the conference championship games, would you agree with that sentiment? And would you agree that like both of these teams, I think, are going to be pretty aggressive when it comes to those decision-making opportunities? I think they have to be. As, as conservative as Tampa Bay has been in their play calling on early downs, I, I love the fact that they trotted Brady out there at the end of the first half instead of punting the ball back and actually decided to be aggressive and go down the football field and try to put up points, which they did. They scored seven the very end of that first half against the Green Bay Packers. But if you look at, for example, what Buffalo did last week against the Kansas City Chiefs, they got into the red zone five times, but they only scored two touchdowns. Now, one of those trips wasn't even an actual trip. They got a turnover on a muff punt. Um, which allowed them to set up shop in the red zone, and they scored a touchdown very soon thereafter. Uh, so, But the rest of the game, I mean, four trips down there, only one touchdown. What's really interesting is that the Kansas City Chiefs have the worst red zone defense in the NFL. I mean, if you look at the last half of the season, whether you're passing on them, running on them, you're going to have efficiency against them. But they really figured out a strategy to stop Buffalo from scoring touchdowns down inside of the red zone. And Buffalo on, I believe they had 10 drives, and on seven of the 10 drives, they voluntarily gave the ball back to the Kansas City Chiefs with a kick. <laughs> it was a punt or it was a field goal. On seven of your 10 drives, you can't allow that to happen. If you end up turning the ball over because you are either throwing an arm punt or you're just being overly aggressive, whether it's a turnover on downs or something else, then you live with those results, right? But you can't voluntarily give the ball to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs punting it or kicking a field goal. They are just too good, which is why when I was looking at that Bills game, I actually studied for about an hour uh, some of the different field goal protection unit, uh, sorry, the field goal uh, special teams units that Kansas City rolls out there to see if there's any openings that Buffalo might be able to fake a field goal. Now, mm -hmm. ideally, if you're in a situation where it's like, fourth and five even you you want to go for it with your offense out on the football field you don't want to try faking something but if you're in like a fourth and ten situation fourth and nine situation um, instead of settling for a 45 yard field goal you may want to try to fake a field goal like you just realize just like Rob said there is no way to beat the Kansas City Chiefs by kicking field goals so I'd rather have the upside of getting a touchdown or moving the chains on a fourth down than I would walking away with three and the there's no satisfaction derived from that. I know that Michelle McDermott said, uh, well, I was doing it for a morale boost. I was, you know, th there is no morale boost. The morale boost <laughs> is getting seven points there and showing your team we are here to be aggressive. We aren't settling for anything. And that's exactly, I mean, your Eagles were doing that a ton uh, yeah. back when they won the Super Bowl. And that's exactly what has to happen here against an offense like the Kansas City Chiefs. So I hope we see a lot of passing, especially in early on early downs. I hope we see uh, no field goals. I, I, I don't want to see any kicks. And moving on from the Super Bowl, something, some, a question that I've been asking everybody. But if there's a head coaching battle royale, who is your champion? And, and dark horse candidates are, are more than welcome because I think the popular answers right now, Mike Vrabel, Dan Campbell, uh, somebody mentioned Brian Flores is like, I wouldn't want to mess with that guy. You saw him charging across the field. Who Who is your champion in the head coaching battle royale? Oh, oh man. Yeah, I think Dan Campbell has vaulted to the top of that list uh, <laughs> just because of uh, his mentality. I mean, his kneecap comments, like you, you can tell deep down inside, you're carrying him out of that ring like yeah. on a stretcher. He He's not leaving voluntarily. Having 
talk to Arthur, Arthur Smith. He's a, he's a big dude. He, he, Arthur Smith is a big guy. So he's an imposing figure, but I don't believe he would have the, uh, gumption and, and kind of like the internal fortitude to tangle too successfully with a guy like Dan Campbell, who's just never leaving unless he's KO'd. So yeah. I, I would, I unfortunately don't have too creative an answer for you, but that's who I would go with. <laughs> I mean, it looks like he's going to be the clubhouse leader at the end of the day. So I, I can't begrudge you for having that answer. Warren, I thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. Uh, before you get out of here, man, plug away. Where, where, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? All that good stuff. SharpFootballAnalysis.com is where we have a lot of great NFL analysis uh, breaking down the Super Bowl as well as in the offseason. I'll be publishing a book that I spend about four yeah. months writing. Uh, so my 2021 NFL preview, I'll go down into a bunker and work on that for a while and appear late June with uh, with a final copy of that sucker, probably over 300 pages. So that's probably the next thing people would want to be on the lookout for. But uh, happy to join you. Love your content and uh, looking forward to the Super Bowl. I appreciate it, man. And I get that book every year. That preview it is uh, it's a it's a must have. It is a must buy. Gentle listener. Warren. Thank you, man. Have a good one. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Warren Sharp of Sharp Analysis. And now we go to our interview with Charles McDonald of USA Today's For the Win. Charles, it's good to welcome a uh, SB Nation alum here on the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. It feels good to come back to the old stomping grounds. I love seeing what you guys have done with the place. So I'm happy for you guys. I appreciate that, man. And let's get into it, man. And just scrolling your, your timeline here. We, we're going to talk Super Bowl, but I, I need to take a sidebar for this. It is, it is not hard to tell that you are very invested in the tragic comedy that is the Deshaun Watson saga, uh, which seems like the most avoidable thing ever. And yet the Houston Texans have found a way to bungle the whole thing. Thoughts? I, I don't get it. <laughs> and I, I tweeted one thing a couple of weeks ago where it's like, can you imagine if you turned on Madden story mode and you, you're you're playing through your first season right and you're balling and all of a sudden the owner is like, actually – it seems like you and the, the preacher here that works here have been button heads a little bit. Like, okay, so what? So what? Kick him out of here then. Like, <laughs> you have a 25-year-old quarterback who is, like, literally the only redeeming quality of the Texans last year. And, and like, one, one other thing about the Deshaun Watson thing is, like, do you know how hard it is to go 4-12 and when he's playing, like, on that level? Like, We're he top, was a he, top five. Yeah, easy. Right, like, top five. Top five ball in every game and like they went four and 12 and it's just amazing to me that you could mess up a situation this bad where like I, I can't think of another time that a quarterback this young and this good well first of all it's hard to find quarterbacks that are, are this good at this age it is on his way out the door after he signed an extension like the 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 path that you have to take to that is so like if i if i just talk to you now without any knowledge of what happened over the past year and a half or so and i told you today look at these stats this player is on the trade block you tell well what the hell happened right and i mean it's the worry where the the players don't like the preacher guy but cal mcnair seems to have the same views as him so they're all on the same page with that and now you're gonna lose like the only redeeming part of your franchise I'm like yeah you're gonna get a ton of first round picks back for him, but you had to, you have to trade away the hardest thing to find in the sport, an elite mm -hmm. young quarterback. And you got a chaplain doing it, or is it a, a charlatan? Because it's, it's crazy. His rise to power, how much influence 
he has. And, you know, I, I, I've covered the Eagles for years and, and it seems like Howie Roseman is kind of like that same room, like that, like that back room political wheeler and dealer. But like Howie Roseman at least has a Super Bowl on the resume. Mm-hmm. What is this? What has this guy done? Yeah, and how, who, how, who is this guy going to come in and tell like DeAndre Hopkins and JJ Watt and Deshaun Watt and Deshaun Watt? Like, who are you, dude? Right. Get out of here. And you got Andre Johnson saying like, you better listen to when, you know, I mean, come on. Right. And the funny thing about the Andre Johnson stuff was like, he hadn't sent a non like sponsored tweet in like almost three years. And right. he just pops up out of nowhere and says, yo, get Jack used he's got to go. And I, I think that he, he obviously knows a lot because outside of being a Texans legend, he was working with them for at some point last season. I, I think it went left somewhere. And I'm guessing it, it had something to do with that. If it was if, if he felt heavy enough that he needs to speak out because he didn't say anything ever. So it, it's bad. And I, I think people need to understand, like, this is a historical level of incompetence that we're mm-hmm. witnessing. Like, bask in it because you're not going to see this ever again probably not only to to be moving on from watson but to have to uh, have to have a roster so bad that you go forward 12 is bad enough and then you move to this which team should make the biggest push for Deshaun's services for your entertainment value for you to be able to root for a team and support them what, what situation would you would Deshaun go to and you'd be like oh yeah i'm 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 all in on this miami i mean Ooh. and this is not a slight on tua because i think he's going to be fine but I don't see him ever being as good as like Deshaun Watson. And right. like I think he had his moments here, but like we all remember Deshaun's rookie year. For the eight games he played, he's throwing like touchdowns on over 10% of his passes. Obviously, like no one's able to sustain that year after year after year, but like we knew he was a dude like right away. Uh like he only had like one or two bad games his entire rookie year, and then he's going to yeah. Seattle and torching the Legion of Boom in a shootout versus Russell Wilson. Yes. And like I, I don't I don't know if Tua is going to get to that level, but I know Deshaun's there right now. And if I'm the Dolphins, you know, like you, you were, we're in a, a a period where you can only trade, you know, the next three first round picks. Well, Dolphins have four because they got two this year and then one the, uh, the following year. So if I'm the Dolphins and the Jets, I'm already in a better spot than than most teams because I can offer you four first round picks instead of uh, three. And I I right. think that we've all kind of agreed to the point that three first round picks is where, where you're gonna have to start to make this trade and i think the dolphins uh, that's a fantastic spot for them because real i mean they have a lot of great things going on with that organization brian flores is excellent you add watson to that mix now you're cooking with something let's shift our focus to the super bowl here and with what i've noticed you have been playing a lot of madden lately congrats on the new ps5 by the way <laughs> if, if you're playing against the chiefs on all madden you've got the sliders turned all the way up what strategies are you using in Madden on the defensive side of the ball to slow down this offense? Look, I'm gonna go back to my bread and butter defensive play. It's the uh, the double a gap nickel mid blitz where it's yeah. just like X Ryan special. Six guys on the line on the line scrimmage, all six of them come in. We're playing man coverage on the back because if I'm in a position where look, I'm already playing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And to be honest with you, when I play franchise mode games. And I see the Chiefs coming up on the schedule. I just send it because I know I'm going to rage and just get upset at how hard they cheat. So I just send those games anyway. So I, I would just be like, look, we're going to play balls to the wall. We're going to blitz the hell out of you. And and hopefully we can get you onto the ground before you can make a big play happen because I know we're not going to stop by ourselves. So I, I guess you got to force the action there a little bit. But I think that's your only chance of, of winning. So that double mug, nickel, little, little, little sugar there, or just sim it. Just sim it, Bucks. Or, or uh, sim it. <laughs> like every, everybody talks about the, the Chiefs offense, and rightly, rightfully so, and how ridiculous they are and how to, how to try to stop it. But 
It's the Chiefs' defense that is the real surprise of the playoffs here. You wrote an article for For the Win about the lack of credit that they're getting. Care to uh, elaborate on that? Well, I mean, it, it makes sense that they're not getting a lot of credit because, I mean, I, I was talking about it actually with my, my colleague Stephen Reese earlier today. Like, this might be, at, at least in what I can remember, like the, the greatest three-year stretch of offensive football that we've, that we've seen. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that compares to this. Like, it makes sense that no one's talking about the Chiefs' defense, but they got some dudes on that side of the ball. I mean, outside of Chris Jones and, and Frank Clark, when when he's playing it well in spurts, uh, like that that secondary is pretty underheralded. I mean, I, I thought what was so impressive last week was, you know, Juan Thornhill. He's coming back from injury during the regular season. He's not at his full capacity yet. And last week, I, I think you saw it start like start to click for him when they when he almost had that wheel that interception on the rear, wheel route versus Josh Allen, which was crazy. crazy. Play. crazy play. I mean to duck like to start in the middle of the field duck underneath the pick run back up to the running back like it's something that you would see like a little kid try to do except you know he's an NFL athlete and, and, and he's great so me and Kyle Posey broke that down earlier in the week that play I wanted to talk about that play for like five minutes because it's great that the read that you have to have to come under that the read is the wheel that should be open a thousand times out of a thousand right it, it, it's just a special play of like brains and athleticism and to see like the quick twitch and and how players process information in real time it's an incredible play but outside of like thornhill you got tyron matthew dan so or is it dan sorenson like i always forget daniel sorenson i believe it is he's he stinks most of the time but he just makes big plays out of right, nowhere like, out of nowhere, like <laughs> there he is a big play and and like these guys outside of like tyron matthew these guys aren't household names but i think they all just play so well together i mean Legarius Sneak coming out and being one of the best rookie cornerbacks in the league. Yep. Uh, even I got a little Brashad Breland come back over the past couple of weeks. I mean, this, this defense is playing really well. And I think that that secondary and Steve Spagnuolo deserve a lot of credit because the, like the, the defensive line outside of Chris Jones and uh, Derek Nandi run snaps aren't really that impressive. It's not like he's being propped up by like an elite four-man rush. You know what I mean? Like Spags right. has got to do a lot there. And he's had success against Brady in the past. So I think that's definitely a matchup to really watch for. Like final question here. I'm asking everybody this. Needs your opinion on this. Because let's say all 32 head coaches get into a battle royal. And you got to pick your champion. Which which one are you taking? Which one's going to win this whole thing? Arthur Smith, baby, because he's going to lead us back to the promised land. Rise oh, up. <laughs> it's so it's so funny. Like I I I was watching those videos when he got when when uh, he was about to go through like his press conference and stuff last week, and I'm like, man, I would love to know what this dude said in the interview because he has no charisma. What's <laughs> But yeah, that was just kind of my troll pick. I think if I was being serious, I'd probably go with Flores. Uh, Flores of Rabel, just because they are hard ass badasses. And and I mean, if Dan Campbell's gonna bite off a kneecap, can't can't count that out either. Yeah, I like that. When Flores was charging across the field, like that put the fear of God in me through through video. So I'm 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 not messing with the guy. So I I like that pick. Charles, it was great having you back here on the SB Nation NFL show. Uh, before you leave, man, plug away. Plug where people could find you, your work, anything you're particularly proud of, man. Go crazy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Four Verts. Uh, you can follow the work that me and my colleague Stephen Ruiz do at For the Win on Twitter. Uh, we have already started working on like all our Super Bowl coverage next week. It's going to be pretty comprehensive and deep with stats and film and all that jazz. So uh, definitely check that out next week. We have a podcast up there called The Counter, and I still do set me edge with Justice Mosqueda. Uh, do like you once, 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 in a, once in a blue moon every now and then. 
it, it's so funny. Like we'll, we'll we'll text like, yo, you want to do the pod? Yeah, sure. And then we just don't respond to each other. <laughs> Based on that history, I was surprised that you were the one to reach out to me 15 minutes before the recording because I thought <laughs> I was going to be have, have to be the one to remind you. <laughs> Well, I, I I did forget, and I was like, I was like, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I was like, okay, that's what it was. <laughs> well, I appreciate you making it, man. Thanks. Yep. And last but not least, we have Evan Silva of EstablishTheRun.com. Evan, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show. It's been too long since we last spoke, man. How are you doing, brother? Michael, I'm doing very, very well. I uh, pretty much took a vacation for the last month, kind of cleared my head after the, the regular season, the first couple of playoff rounds, and um, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like pretty well rested and ready to ready to jump back in it and you know talk about the Super Bowl and uh, get ready for the for what's going to be a really busy off offseason, especially at the quarterback position. I mean, there could be an incredible amount of movement at the most, uh, the most valuable position in pro sports. Yeah, it's going wild at the quarterback position. And when I reached out to you to come on here and, and do this, you had mentioned that you had been doing doing some things and you had been a little bit busy in your personal life. One of those reasons for that was that you went to the conference championship game between the Chiefs and the Bills, which in in this world that we're living in, what kind of experience was that like? Yeah, I didn't totally know what to expect uh, going in, Um, you know, from the tailgate at the beginning to how the game would be to, you know, hey, if you wanted to go get a beer, would it be what would it be like? And it wasn't that different from normal, I don't think, uh, except that when you were in the game, I mean, it was only at one fifth capacity, you know, 20%, yeah. um, which I mean, that was really nice. So if you did want to go get a beer, it was, you know, pretty easy to go get a beer. It's, it sounds like all the, all the bad things about a game, the parking, the traffic, exactly. the wait lines, the bathroom is all that just gets a little bit easier, right? Uh, uh, way easier. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it was super efficient. Anything that you wanted to do, uh, you could do it efficiently, which is never the case at a full capacity game, but it was interesting. The first thing that we saw, the first person that we saw uh, as as we walked in the gates was Josh Hawley, the uh, the senator from Missouri, who controversial at best and yeah. an insurrectionist at worst. And we won't get into the the politics of everything, but that was interesting uh, to to see Josh Hawley standing there as as we walked in and started to make make our way to our seats. You know. And as we, we started to get settled in and we were up pretty high, um, but we were like right on the 50 yard line. So we had, you know, a pretty good, relatively good uh, vision of the game, uh, but also a very good vision of Arrowhead Stadium, which I had not been to since I was, I don't know, in my single digits. And I went with my uncle, but you could look at, you know, just the, the whole bowl and it was the, the turnout for the Bills fans was really, really impressive. Um, the, the seats, I think almost all the seats at Arrowhead stadium are red. The vast majority of bills fans were wearing blue. Yeah. And so they, they really stuck out and it was, it was very, I, I mean, it was almost 50, 50. And that's really, I, I found that really impressive. And, and as we encountered, I was in a, like a little pod of, I think four people, but as we encountered the bills fans, I mean, they were super cool. You know, that the Chiefs fans were a little bit aggressive. I would say the, the normal encounter would be that the Chiefs fans were like a little bit aggressive. Mm. And then the Bills fans would encounter with a little bit of a- aggressiveness of their own. But <laughs> they would also be like, hey, you know, we have obviously, you know, immense respect for, you know, your team. And 
if we lose this game, we want you to go beat, you know, the NFC team. You know, they were they were respectful as people that, um, you know, were, were rooting for their team, obviously, really aggressively. And they got out to that that early lead and they got a little cocky. But, you know, they, then they kind of shut up the rest of the way. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, it was the first like really meaningful NFL game that I had been to in a long time because I'm usually just working on on Sundays when, when I was working at Roto World you know there was no way I could go to a, a game I mean that right. that was not a possibility because you have to essentially monitor like every single game and it would have set me back like so far in the week yeah. the last meaningful re- truly meaningful NFL game that I had been to was a game that where NBC Sports sent me to go cover it it was the Jay Cutler uh, Seahawks playoff game where Jay Cutler like sprained his MCL and then yeah he didn't play I think in the fourth quarter and and he he, he was on the sidelines without crutches and everybody called him like a wimp <laughs> but yeah this was uh it, it was it was an awesome experience I gained a lot of respect for both Chiefs and Bills fans you know it was, it was I'm really glad that I went as of course we know the the Chiefs end up winning that game they go to the Super Bowl and and, and digging into the Super Bowl here I'm kind of curious on where you stand on a couple of bits. So let's kind of just like riff on those a little bit. Nothing too serious. I mean, first of all, Vegas thinks this this is going to be a high scoring affair with the over under set at 56.5. I did a quick check. 13 out of the last 16 Super Bowls falls fall toward the under of that number. But these are two very high powered teams. Do you think this is going to live up to the hype as a, a guns blazing spaghetti western type shootout? Yeah, I mean this it, it's a, it's a high total, uh, no, no question. It would have been one of the highest totals of the year. That I think the highest total of the year uh, during the regular season was maybe something like fifty seven or fifty seven and a half. That, that's yeah. something that we we look at a lot. I, I like to bet overs. One thing I worked with Warren Sharp for a long time, and one thing that he kind of instilled in me was that uh, when when betting totals. You can do all the game analysis that you want, but at the end of the game, crazy things happen. Like, you know, you can do analysis of a team that is, you know, run heavy and, you know, likes to milk the clock. And, hey, if they're down by 17 in the fourth quarter, they're not going to play like that team that you spent all week analyzing. Right. They're going to play like a different team. They're going to throw the ball more aggressively getting caught betting unders is, you know, it's it's just something that, that Warren Sharp liked to avoid generally. Um, and I, I, I abide by that as well. I've never had success betting unders. This, this is a high total. The biggest concern that, that pops off the, the sheet to me right now is the offensive tackle situation for Kansas City mm. uh, because Eric Fisher obviously tore his Achilles in the AFC Championship game. And Mitchell Schwartz, I mean, I, I haven't heard about his, you know, his chances of, of returning in a positive light in, in, in months. Yeah, you know, and how are they going to be able to deal with those outside pass rushers and Jason Pierre-Paul and um, uh, Shaq Barrett? And you know, they've got some, and the Buccaneers have some linebackers that are really good at at rushing the passer. And Todd Bowles' defense blitzed at like a top five rate yeah. uh, during the regular season. Um, I know you're not supposed to blitz Patrick Mahomes, but you know, when he's without his two starting offensive tackles, you know. I mean, I think Todd Bowles is going to do what what, what he does. It, it's it's a lot of points, yeah. And you know, that's that's the decision that that people are going to have to make. I hope it hits the over because that's obviously going to be a lot more fun. Here, here's right. a, here's a here's a fun one for you, Evan. I, I recently came into a large sum of money, and perhaps I've been playing on the stock market, maybe doing some GameStop things or whatever the case may be. I've decided to risk it all on the Fat Man TD prop. 
which means I need to know if an offensive lineman will score a touchdown in this game. Yes is at plus 2,000. No is at uh, minus 10,000. My future and likely my marriage depend on this, Evan. Should I risk it all on yes? <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, the, the means of you coming into this large sum of money, uh, just based on the fact that you're considering this bet at all, uh, it sounds like you got very, very lucky. Yeah. Uh, and this was not a this was not a skill based acquisition. <laughs> I, I think I think that you completely obviously bypassed this bet, but um, <laughs> possibly Tristan Wirfs, maybe uh, maybe scoring yeah. a touchdown. That would be fun. Super Bowl MVP Tristan Wirfs. By the way, if if you're picking an MVP, like are are you sticking with Patrick Mahomes and a Tom Brady type pick at plus one hundred plus two ten? Or are you reaching in the bag for for a sleeper, maybe? I, I think a recency bias may be uh, affecting me. I was big on Damian Williams at like 25 to 1 to win MVP last year. Mm. And I mean, he could not have done more, and he still didn't win it. And <laughs> Mahomes, play, Mahomes played like right. like crap for like, like legit three quarters. Yep. And I was like, man, I got a real shot here. I mean, Damian Williams, not only was he good in the receiving and running game, but he like had some amazing blitz pickups in the game and – I mean, he legit could not have done anything more uh, to put himself there, but still Mahomes wound up getting it. I almost want to say it's like a sucker bet to not pick one of the quarterbacks. Right. I would agree with that. I would agree it's a yeah. sucker bet. That's that's a good bring up about last year because I, I thought like if there was going to be a year where it was going to be somebody else, I, I thought that should have been one of them. So. I definitely understand you uh, you avoiding that one. Listen, I've been asking everybody this this same question, and, and I'm wondering uh, if you have the same type of like. There's a clubhouse leader in this, but if there's a battle royale between all 32 head coaches in the NFL, like are you, are you going with the obvious choice, which is like one of Mike Vrabel, maybe Dan Campbell, or some others contenders, you know, working their way in? How do you, how who do you think comes out on top? Who are you picking as your champion? Yeah, I think that, you know, if you were to do like a tiering system, definitely like Dan Campbell, Vrabel would be in there. I think Brian Flores could absolutely throw down and he's still uh, relatively young. I feel like Mike Tomlin, you know, Mike Tomlin's kind of getting old. Um, I think that in his prime, he could have been there. I think same thing with Ron Rivera. There was probably a time where Ron Rivera would be like the one seed, Yeah, I feel like, in this. But then there are some dudes who I, I think could, could, could like scrap and be, you know, kind of, kind of sneaky. Like I think Sean McVay, I mean, he's just in real good shape. And, yeah. you know, I mean, could like, I don't know what kind of shape Vrabel's in. I know he's big. But I've heard whispers. You know what? What? What are the whispers on on Mike Vrabel? Oh well, Ross Tucker said that he kind of gotten a little soft in his years. Which Mike, if you're listening, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I would never say that about you. I, I think. Uh, I think the clubhouse leader right now, Dan Campbell. I think that's the pick for everybody, especially after that crazy press conference that he had. Yeah, yeah. I I think he's the one seed. I I, I really do. Um, if you were to do like tournament bracket, do a tournament bracket. Uh, I think McDermott would be – Sean McDermott of the Bills would be another dude that can could absolutely scrap. Yeah, he's wiry. A little, a little fire. Yeah, too. yeah, definitely wiry. <laughs> I mean, like I was thinking like maybe – like could Kyle Shanahan be good? And then I was like, I don't know. He kind of grew up like in a rich family, you know. I mean, yeah, could could that work against them? <laughs> uh, I don't know. But he he's wiry for sure. I don't know, you know, like Cliff Kingsbury, he'd be, you know, pretty low down the list. Uh, yeah, I don't I know. It, 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 would, it would be fun to, like, create an actual 1 through 32, like, tournament-style bracket and, I guess, you know, have votes, uh, do do a voting system on Twitter, although I guess just 
whoever, you know, the, the, all the fans would just, you know, just vote for their coach and right. uh, probably get some weird results. Which would actually be kind of fun. Like I'm imagining in my head, and I kind of told you this before the show, but it's like it's five coaches and they're all on Andy Reid's legs and they're like they're trying to throw him <laughs> over the top rope. And then Dan Campbell comes running down the aisle and he like throws literally all of them over and he's the champ, like all that stuff like that. That, that could be fun. If the social media uh, people here at SB Nation are listening. That might be a fun bracket. Good idea, Evan. Evan, thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL Show. Let the list, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can find all of your work, all that stuff, man. Plug away. Yeah, uh, you can check me out at Evan Silva on Twitter. Uh, write for uh, Establish the Run at Establish the Run on Twitter, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, everyone uh, makes some money uh, on the Super Bowl this this year. Thanks for stopping by, Evan. Appreciate you, man. We thank you for joining us here on Digital Road. That is going to do it for today. Again, remember, make sure you're subscribed, rating, reviewing, all that stuff. Check out our Super Bowl coverage next week, three episodes a day. We're doing it big, going to have big guests all throughout the week. But in the meantime, go dominate and have yourselves a day. (laughs) 